thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizen Civs, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 124 of the Best Damn Space In podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, June the 10th, and made available for download Tuesday, June 14th, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. And I'm Jeff. What do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we explore the vast expanse of our cosmic peanuts. On the flight deck, we'll see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover... Patch 2.4T, May's monthly report and some insurance speculation in Star Citizen, and our first impressions of the latest space sim to hit the Steam Early Access House of the Dying Sun. Next, we debate the badassery of NPCs, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the school books. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. You know how space is big? Really big? I mean, you know you don't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, we all know that it's a long way down the road to the chemist, but that is just peanuts to space. And the thing about peanuts in space is that they don't scale. When you're trying to measure the vastness of space and you're trying to account for all the peanut-building matter that fills it, the huge volumes and distances involved make it difficult for earthbound scientists to get super accurate readings. We just build mirrors and tanks with sensors pointed at them and hope the universe hurls the occasional legume fragment at it so we can figure out what's going on out there. If only we could... I don't know, like shoot a massively powerful beam of radio energy into the void to stir up the wisps of plasma or jiggle the cosmic peanuts that lie dark and hidden in the deep black. You know, I, I know what you're saying. Tony, the amount of energy you're talking about simply isn't harnessable by human technology right now. And besides, you'd have to wait for the beam to travel out and any meaningful signal to travel back at the ponderously slow speed of light in order to learn anything. Ugh, you know, those darn laws of physics. If only there's some sort of widespread phenomenon that originated billions of light years away, something that created such huge pulses of energy on a repetitive basis, almost like a like a strobe light shining through all the constituent parts that make up all of our peanuts. And then all we have to do is point our mirrors and sensors at those sources to get a good idea of the sorts of matter that that energy had to pass through to get to us. The focus and intense energy arriving at discrete intervals would allow for unprecedented precision in interstellar measurement we would know beyond doubt exactly how much interstellar peanut debris you'd encounter between Earth and the Betelgeuse hyperspace roundabout. Oh wait, what's that you say, Duncan Lorimer, astronomer at the University of West Virginia? You've discovered this type of phenomenon? This is a thing that's happening now? Well, isn't that convenient. So what was it that uh, exploded? We don't know for sure, but we're thinking it's a magnetar. A what? A magnetar. It's a type of neutron star that is, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a neutron star on neutron star steroids. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because magnetar does sound like something that a five-year-old would invent as a superhero villain. 
Yeah, also, uh, coincidentally, it was the name of a, uh, I think it was like a, a hedge fund that exploded with the power of a thousand suns and you know, uh, took out some, you know, it was uh, during, the, during the financial crisis. So, yes, they are, in no matter what context, whether you're five-year-old imagination or a financial products thing or an actual thing in the universe, powerful, explosive, potentially destructive, but also enlightening in a certain way. Yeah, so have they made any major discoveries from this? Have, have we suddenly found that life is out there? No, no this, is, this is all brand new stuff. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is like the difference between passive scanning and active scanning. Right. Where we've been passively scanning the universe, right? Waiting for signals to come to us and just sort of figuring out what we can find out from that. This is like an active scan of the universe. There's radio waves, intense focus radio waves passing through slices of matter in space and we are seeing the the interference patterns from that as the as the as the energy arrives on earth so we know with a great deal of precision what that beam of energy had to pass through to get to us right because presumably waves that didn't pass through anything arrive pretty quickly and those that mm-hmm. pass through things are a bit slower right. as a result and you can measure the decay exactly right you measure you measure the interference and you get a very clear idea of what I believe that what they're what they're what really messes with it is our uh, electrons, right? And so the basically the kinds of plasmas and other you know free electron type things that it's had to go through to get to us. So, but it's 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 really uh, a lot like the gravitational wave stuff. This has the potential to open up a completely different kind of astronomy now. The other thing about this, these are billions of light years away, right? So they're not even yes. quite sure the exact origin points of these things yet. They're still trying to nail down where they're coming from. So, you know, until they can get those that worked out, it's hard to say exactly what all they're having to go through because they don't know how far away they are to start with. So once they get all that ironed out, like I said, it could open up a completely different field of astronomy. Yeah, this, this does sound like something that is quite bleeding edge to do, actually. Yeah, the, the, uh, see, let me the timeline on this. They, see, they didn't even know they existed until, I think, early this year. Hang on a second. Oh, wow. Okay, so that is very recent. Yeah, it was uh, in 2012 they started picking up some of these signals. A study published in 2015 said, hey, wait a minute, it seems like some of these signals have something in common. But it wasn't until this year that they figured out that they could narrow down the type of object that was making it, and they narrowed it down to neutron stars. Originally they thought they were collisions of neutron stars. Right. And then over the last, uh, and and then a month later everyone kind of went, wait a minute, hold on. These could be pulsars on steroids, and that's a quote from a guy named Maxim Lyitkov of Purdue University. Sorry, what was that uh, name? I didn't quite catch that. Maxim Lyutikov. Yeah, very good. Purdue very good. University. I'm trying. I'm, my Russian is very weak. Spazibo. Yeah, so this is, is the, the, like I said, if, they, if this were, checks out, this could in, uh, usher in a completely different era of astronomy. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for June 10th, 2016. $115,088,000 up about $248,000. $1.39 million registered accounts up about $3,500. And 985,000 ships in the UAE fleet, up about 2,600. 
And speaking of Star Citizen, 20 minutes prior to us recording the show, CIG pushed patch 2.4 to the live servers, so everyone who wants to play around in the semi-functional universe of persistence and shopping now has that option. And according to Reverse Diverse, when 2.4 goes live, the Starfarer with the Gemini variant, the Reliant, and one weapon will go on sale, although we've not been able to find any details on the RSI website so far. But rest assured though, by the time you're listening to this, more details should have emerged, so we're just going to go ahead and tell you to check the RSI website. Great, thanks. Also, the long-awaited Drake Dragonfly will be going on sale next week, and miracle of miracles, it's under three figures. Yep, the concept version will be available for only $35. For those of you not willing to shell out even that much money, CIG is also holding a contest to give away one to whomever can make a sloppy, simple drawing closest to the concept art of the dragonfly. Details are in a forum, which is going to be posted in the show notes. They also announced on Around the Verse that sales of the Buccaneer make it one of the most popular ships that they've ever sold, and final numbers put it on par with the civilian Hornet in terms of total numbers sold. Simulating a board meeting without the actual board or actual meeting, CIG dropped another monthly report last week. As always, despite the length of the report, very little of the news is actually new for people who follow CIG's information stream, so we've added in tidbits from around the verse with this information. A common theme this month was we were slash are working on 2.4, which of course you know now is past tense. Many studios are working on overhauling the Hornet F7A for its role as the hero ship in Squadron 42. The LA studio is mostly working on the details of heat and wear and tear for the updated component system, while half of the art team is dedicated to getting the Caterpillar finished up. Austin was all about shopping in 2.4, and now that it's out, they're refocusing on selling. The first hurdle there was getting a full list of commodities. Meanwhile, their IT team has been working on the improved incremental patching system. Foundry 42 in the UK is going to make sure they have enough components built for when that system goes live, and they are making progress on the big ships. Some final interior work on the Idris is underway, and the exteriors for the Bengal and Javelin are almost done. They're also working closely with Germany on the new Outlaw base location. It will resemble Port Alisar, but more piratey. Germany is hosting a convergence of prominent figures currently, and a lot of focus is on AI and transitions to cutscenes in Squadron 42. Their AI programming and engineering groups went into a lot of detail about technical parts of their work in the monthly report, for anyone who's interested. Behavior was working with Austin on shopping, and Turbulent is focusing a lot of their efforts on the new game launcher and on multi-factor authentication. And as everyone knows, we love the game we're building, so we decided to do a little bit of insurance speculation. CIG recently put out a lore story that was focused on insurance that has possibly caused more angst, confusion, and CIG backtracking than any other element in the game. Since this came from in-game lore, nothing is official. But the beginning of the story spent some time talking about how insurance companies will speed up payouts or replacements for claimants who paid a fee for faster processing. It's not an official description of the game mechanic, but CIG has said that the lore informs the gameplay and the gameplay influences the lore. Since there is literally nothing that the players know about the insurance mechanic at this point, expect the story to create some amount of speculation. Um, is that because we're going to create it? Or I think so. Tag along with it. I'd tag along with it, probably at this point. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Moment. Okay. 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 All right. I, I think that it's been pretty cheesy up until this point that CIG has not done a very good job on keeping us up to date on the insurance. They've been sh- selling insurance for the ships and it's an integral part of the game, and yet now they rely on a piece of lore to kind of inform us that there is something going on. So I, I kind of rightly agree with a lot of the angst that I'm hearing. 
Yeah, it's a the trial balloon, right? You know, it's like when you trot out some junior politician or junior executive and you're going to announce a, a policy that we're considering and you let that guy get slaughtered in front of everybody. Like, what are you thinking? So, well, let's put it in the fiction where we can say, no, 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 no. You're reading this all wrong. Okay, that was a bad idea. We're not going to do that. You know, I, that that's kind of the impression that it gives. But... And, you know, here's the 800-pound gorilla, microtransactions, right? Are we going to charge you to get moved to the head of the class? Uh, even if you have lifetime insurance or if you paid in-game credits for your insurance policy, if you really want expedited service, you're going to go to the microtransaction store. And that's, I think, rightfully going to rankle some people because it's supposed to be an in-game mechanic with in-game consequences based on in-game behavior. And if you want out-of-game, real-world stuff to influence all that, it really wrecks your immersion, and it really, I think, wrecks the sort of seamlessness that you're trying to build into the game, and I think it really kind of goes back on your core design element that if you got time, put in your time. If you've got money, put in your money. Now you're saying, well, if you really want to save time, you're going to have to spend money, and they're really torquing down on that. It's not just about getting the ships, it's about replacing a ship after an accident. They are really hammering that money for time component, and I, I think that's probably a bit too far. Well, I think the main thing here is that actually there's a hidden sort of unknown question at the moment, which hasn't been answered as far as I could see either in the law piece with, with a, a fixed description. And obviously CIG have not come out and said anything, but this then implies that there are two waiting periods to get your ship. One, you get a replacement, and it sounds like pretty much immediately if you pay the fee. But how long do you have to wait if you don't pay the fee? You know, are you going to be crippled for, are we talking minutes, hours, weeks? Like, there's no confirmation of what that would be. And I think that if they were to release some details on that, then that might help to assuage some of the fears that have been built up around this piece of law that have that has come out. But, you know, at, at the moment, we don't really have anything official to even say that this is official, if you see what I mean. It was only just a piece that was found in the law that got slated. So It also brought to mind another question I have, and, and that's about about currencies in the, in the Star Citizen game. Now, correct <gasps> Oh, Jeff, me I love you. Oh, thank you. Now, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. UEC is the currency of the persistent universe. Now, we all know that we can buy UEC with real-world money. However, I am assuming that these insurance payments will only take UEC payments. So, am I earning those in-game as well? Or am I earning another class of, of currency that is outside of the UEC that we're all supposed to be earning and buying? And is this a different... And, and, and so... Uh, it just it's just it's now getting more and more convoluted and it's an excellent point i mean you're right jeff the way that they've structured this it does not foreclose the possibility that they're going to use the one currency to rule them all and so you could earn that insurance acceleration payment whatever you want to call it in game that's you're right you're absolutely right but let's break this down a little bit here those uh, candy crush type games and other free to play type games they're designed so that it's hard to earn the in-game giveaway currency at a, a fast enough rate to do all the things you want to do, right? So that's why they have that little shop in there where you can pay real-world money to top up your currencies. Now, some of those mechanics aren't necessary to the, you know, to the gameplay. You, know, you don't have to level up all your whatever it is that your characters or, or tunes or whatever it is that's, that's in the game. You don't have to do that. But for Star Citizen, 
flying a ship is pretty darn important, as I would call it central to a space sim game to have a ship. And so if your ship is destroyed and you didn't get the money from that cargo run, your balance is a little low, and the alternative is wait 30 minutes or pay extra, and you can't pay the extra, but your game time is now, again, that time versus money uh, computation, it's just one more thing to make you open up that wallet, plug in that credit card number, and engage in a microtransaction to get yourself back into space. Yeah, I, I, I can't see, you know, if they go forward with some other alternative kind of, I can't see many people really, you know, playing this game out unless it's all unless they're all just independently wealthy. Because, because really, as far as I understand, everything is going to cost you money. Landing fees are going to cost you UEC credits and, sure. you know, refueling costs and repair costs and all that is going to cost. You know, it's the idea of micromanaging your your life in the persistent universe now sure if the mission payouts are not going to pay out enough to do the missions or make a profit on there's no point in doing them so that means that i am not earning enough to buy premium insurance is that how they're marketing it premium insurance or yeah whatever i mean it's just it doesn't make any sense that that people are talking about a real world Money. I mean, I yeah, I can go stop. I can probably go buy UEC credits, but it doesn't mean I have to spend them on insurance. I can spend them on my docking fees, for example. Right. But if your ship blows up and you're at a, a, a low balance and you want to get back to playing, the temptation, and that's really what it's about, is that you you have somebody, you've got their credit card on file, they've got this time to play, their credit balance is too low to replace the ship immediately the temptation and the impetus and the uh you know this sort of impulse buy instinct is there all queued up hoping that you'll hit the button and spend 10 bucks for whatever or whatever it's going to be to buy enough uec to get yourself back flying well having said that you know the like we said at the beginning this is just pure speculation it isn't anything that's firm and like you said they probably i this really does reek of let's put this Trial in a law piece and yeah yeah try yeah. try the market and see what happens um so i wouldn't be surprised if any of this didn't end up actually happening but i realize that we're probably going to get letters about this uh, whole insurance discussion anyway oh, so i let's love just, letters i love letters too let's just I add a little letters. bit more fuel to the lettery fire here i wanted to yes. talk about the monthly report yes. and something that i found a little bit uh i feel disturbing is t- is too strong a word but which is the sections from Foundry 42 saying that the final interior work on the Idris is underway and that the exteriors of the Bengal and the Javelin are almost done. Now, the reason that I wanted to sort of bring this up and reflect on it is Squadron 42 is supposed to be released in 2016. We know just from the opening mission that they did the walkthrough of at citizen con that it takes place on an idris right i believe and i may be totally wrong here but i believe that there was also the the whole point of the bengal and the javelin were that they were appearing in squadron 42 and i was definitely under the impression that it was part of episode one or whatever this first chunk is that we're getting now if the game is supposed to be released this year we are literally pretty much halfway through the year as of the time of this recording you know it's Mm -hmm. it's the second week of june you've only got six months and a couple of weeks left until december 31st 23 59 59 to get it out 
if you're only just finishing up the main ship that is going to be used in the game and you've only just finished the exteriors of the other ships is that really you know surely i guess what i'm trying to say is surely that should have been done by now and the point that we should be at for a decent bug free or as close to bug free release of squadron 42 that you can possibly get you know you should have that finished up and you should be definitely entering your long haul q a phase of a few months before the game is actually released otherwise it's going to release as a buggy mess potentially so am i the only one who's feeling that this news here combined with the fact that they cancelled their e3 appearance just kind of really doesn't bode well for getting squadron 42 out the door in a sensible fixed state on time or you know their, their reputation for missing deadlines is quite quite well known throughout the gaming industry and i feel that this also doesn't really do a lot to assure anybody who may be you know expecting to get the game sometime this year that this is actually something that's going to happen i i i don't really know lennon i, I feel like they're they're not really talking about a lot of that they're just i have nothing really to add <laughs> i'm sure tony does well, it's, I uh, just wanted to give everyone a chance to, you know, air their opinions. Uh, I also tend to agree with you, Lennon. I, I, it's, uh, you know, maybe I polish passes. Let's say polish passes. Maybe what they mean by that is that they're finishing up the polish passes and Q and A on on the Idris. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, I don't, I don't expect we'll be crewing the Javelin or the Bengal in this first series of, of uh, missions. So just the exterior would be fine for those ships you know you, you don't need to go inside yeah. those ships you know they've they've had to scale back in a lot of ways pixel counts and the triangles uh for the ships so there may have been some dialing back that had to get done not necessarily you know making corners mesh or you know uh, putting textures on on stuff that really maybe it was just dialing it back that had to be done so it's entirely possible that they could be referring to the qa processes of getting those ships done possible right um yeah our our, our usual standard is take take the deadline add 60 to 90 days to it yeah you know i'd um i I think it's not impossible that they couldn't get something out and again with the whole earlier mvp discussion define squadron 42 um what is squadron 42 well it's been kind of a moving target if we get five missions which is essentially you know it could essentially be an extended tutorial and a nice uh you know teaser cold opening Maybe that's what we get in Q1 2017. Maybe that's what we get. And then Q2 is when we get, you know, the first story arc. That's possible. It's not a confidence builder, let's just say that, but there are ways to read it so it's not necessarily a confidence strainer. I just want to use the exact quote from the article because obviously we we wrote a bit of a summary there, or rather our producer Ostrom did. He's a great guy. You should... uh pay attention to him um the the actual quote from the article was um as reported last month interior work on the idris has largely wrapped up and we've moved on to building some story specific squadron 42 variations so that to me sounds like that you know they might have done the ship but the bits that are actually needed for the game they've only just started doing well, no, 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 hold on, hold on. This comes from my my foundry experience in Star Trek Online. I, I'm 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 not inclined to say the sky is falling quite yet on that one either, because what'll happen is that you'll have your base map and you'll use that from mission to mission to mission because you go to the same environment two or three times. Yeah. But what you'll do in one story is 
a table will be on fire in one scene, and then three scenes later, of course, the fire's been put out, but you've put a potted plant in there. Okay. So, I mean, I, and that sort of stuff is, is more along the... It, that's just... I'm, I'm placing new objects there. Maybe there's some battle damage so that, you know, this bulkhead is open to space, so I've got to... I mean... I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to hit the panic button on that one. But I agree with you, Lennon. I think that the environments should be done. Probably at this point, the scripts that you need and the triggers that you need to hit to get the next uh, uh, story sequence going, those should be all in place. And you should just be making sure you can't drive around them, you know, and wreck and, and wreck the mission progression. That takes a lot of time, especially in a, a game you're building from the ground up. And I would, I would, I would hope they'd be done with that sort of thing. But on the other hand, I don't know their tools. And maybe it's really easy to do all that once you've got the uh, all the objects placed. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I you know we it's very true that we don't know their internal systems, we don't know their internal tools. But I guess it's just that whole sort of uh, once bitten twice shy type effect of everything that they've said they're released only bitten has once been delayed. Well, no, that's the, yeah, that's the bit <laughs> munched on continually, <laughs> nibbled. Uh, You've been yeah, nibbled. nibbled twice shy. Yes, I like to mention uh, the the patch news. I was kind of taken aback because at first, when I first heard about the patch news, it sounded like the PTU had been opened up for every player, and so they would have PTU access. Whereas I come when I opened up my launcher, PTU is gone, and only the live patch was available. So last I, I think played, they moved it to. I think that's what, what the new news was. Oh. I think that the PTU had been completely migrated to live. Well. The last I played this was just yesterday. The netcode was really, still really bad. I mean, still rubber banding, still freezing in place, still, you know, I, I'm all for the think that, that really we, we don't need a, a PTU and an alpha. I think we should all be testing on, on the alpha or the live server. But uh, it just yeah. it just didn't seem ready to move if, if they were doing some kind of quality control there. So well, it, you know, it's an alpha, and you you are on the end of a uh, of a paper cup and four miles of string. That's true. I mean, that may have something to do with it, but it it does show that uh, even if they get it the netcode functioning, it's going to require a lot of optimization for you know anybody that's just you know not tethered to a really high speed connection uh, to play effectively. I, I mean, it, you know, if it was bad with the limited number of people that were in PTU, just imagine how bad it's going right. to be. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You're trying to cram 16 people into one session, yeah. Also, possibly a little bit uh, pertinent to our most recent discussions, and I've not had a chance to check this out, and I know, Tony, you certainly have not had a chance to check this out, but apparently in the latest uh, Star Citizen launcher, there is a term of service update. Yes, you have to accept it when you open up the new launcher. Well, I'll have to have to scour the internet to uh, get myself a copy of that, you know, draw myself a bubble bath, light some candles, read a nice terms of service document. Just to relax at the end of a long day, like I like to do. With your contract porn there. That's right. That's right. It's good times. A little soft music. This is my alone time, people. Don't bother me. Yeah, I do just want to kind of like wrap this little bit up with saying that I know that a lot of people thought that we've been quite down on the game recently and that we're sort of gravitating towards the CIG hate school. But I just want to reiterate the point that, you know, we're all fanboys here. We really all want Star Citizen to succeed. And that's why we look at it under a microscope so heavily, because we just want this game to actually come to fruition, come to the market. We know it's done good things for the space sim genre already, as has been seen by the explosion of games that are around recently, and hence this podcast. But, you know, at, at the same time, it, it really does require people like us, like the fans, to actually look at what they're doing and, you know, really try and analyze where everything 
uh, is coming from where everything is going because the more that this stuff comes out earlier the more chance that they have to fix it and the better the game will be overall so besides they listen to us and so you know the game we're building is is the one we're going to be playing well that's true that's true. The real question is, when are we going to get the game we're building? <laughs> yeah. Well, we One haven't released any, any. We haven't given out any dates, so you can't even add six months to it. Because no, no, you can't. And we've got, we got a ways to go on that 115 million bucks. We got to get started on that. <laughs> Our regular elite dangerous fodder simply doesn't exist this week because Frontier decided they were going to avoid major press releases. Mostly because the last time they made one, their AIs embarked on wholesale murder of all their players. The rest of our space and regulars also seem to be lying low for a bit, probably being stalked by Elite's AI. So we decided we'd talk about a different game, another new game that's making its way out of development. House of the Dying Sun is an ambitious project by Rotor Interactive. If anyone was following the title Enemy Starfighter and wondered where it went, it became this game. Right now it has two major selling points. The first and lesser one is that the game has a mixture of both in-cockpit dogfighting play and an RTS-style tactical command element, though the focus is still largely on the in-cockpit dogfighting. The bigger point is that the game has been developed with full VR support from the beginning, and by all accounts, they did a really good job of it. People who've played it with VR are lauding this for being a VR title that they can fully use their headsets with. The slight catch is that sacrifices were made in visual fidelity to allow for the smooth VR integration. Based on still shots and videos, the game seems to have an early 2000s look for most of the physical objects, though the decorative nebula and particle effects for explosions are well beyond that. There won't be anything to surprise space in veterans as far as the cockpit gameplay goes. Prior to missions, you configure and load up your fighter, and eventually other allied ships, based on equipment you have, and some you can unlock with rewards from completing mission objectives. The weapons are visually and effectively distinct from one another. It will be immediately obvious if you've equipped an autocannon versus, say, a blunderbuss. The fighter offers most of the standard controls that have been the staples of the genre since 3D gaming became a thing, and it also incorporates Newtonian physics so pilots can do the whole decoupled Battlestar Galactic strafing run, along with other similar manoeuvres. Enemies have been described as appropriately challenging without obviously resorting to cheating. At higher difficulties, they just come off as being better pilots who use their armaments more intelligently. There isn't official support for flight sticks, but reviewers who use them said that there was no problem with binding controls or assigning flight axes using the in-game config options. The tactical gameplay is more of a mixed bag. The game pauses in tactical view and wingmen can be selected and given directions from there, which is certainly an improvement compared to keying through the text menu on and off for one-tenth of your screen while you're being shot at. It also becomes a helpful navigation tool when looking at more distant enemies. As with most RTS interfaces, the best and fastest precision is achieved with a keyboard and a mouse, which is fine unless you're playing the game with one of its main draws, the VR headset. Issuing tactical commands to the other controllers is imprecise and slower. It also means that tactical commands will have to be bound to buttons on your controller. One reviewer pegged 12 as the number of flight and tactical commands that needed their own button, which eliminates a lot of game pads. Other issues mentioned by players include the lack of common RTS staples like issuing commands to groups, assigning permanent groupings to units, and controlling special options. Also, the fleet control aspect doesn't become a factor until much later in the game. Almost half the missions take place with only your fighter or with one of the other two fighter wingmen. Which brings us to the main downside people have cited about the game, length. 
Currently, the game has only 14 missions, and based on testimony and video evidence, the longest any of these missions tend to last is about 5 minutes, mostly due to in-mission timers that are pretty absolute. This means the whole game is done in little more than an hour. Almost everyone praises the gameplay, particularly the in-fighter combat and dogfighting, but the universal feeling is that gamers want more to this. Unfortunately, despite being early access, the developer has stated that more content is not in the cards before official release. I was just going to say it, it's a shame because looking uh, at the videos and reading all the various reviews, people have said that this game is really quite good and quite fun, uh, even without the VR side of it. Uh, if you've got the VR side, it's like a whole different level, but even just as a standard video game, it's still pretty good and pretty fun. So yeah, it's just a shame that they're not going to release more content before the actual release of the game. Yeah, I, I, I think though he's, again, you know, the... Star Citizen done a lot of good things for the uh, uh, space sim uh, development genre. He's taking the cue, no scope creep. Set your goals for what you that want to accomplish. Fl- he's got the uh, the skeleton laid out as big as it's going to be, and he's working on getting uh, it all fleshed out in the time that's left. I mean, you may be disappointed, but on the other hand, it's powerful incentive to support him so that he can finish fleshing it out and has the motivation and the resources to build a bigger skeleton later on. I'm excited about it. It kind of, I kind of got a uh, early free space vibe from it. Uh, we reviewed uh, in the early days of Guard Frequency a uh, Void Destroyer that uh, it kind of, you know, it was a, a space sim type game, but it also had uh, the ability to control larger capital ships and control individual turrets on each one, and uh, moving moving ships in an RTS type interface too. When you got to the bigger ships, so I think this is another game kind of in that uh, in that line of succession as well. Yeah, and it is that whole really early 2000s feel with the graphics that give it that free space vibe, I think. You know, it's the it really does do something for the nostalgia. It, you know, you look at it and it just it just kind of just reminds you of like the the glory days of PC space simming, I feel, just with its look and feel. But it does have that very up-to-date modern particle effects and the nebulas and like the menus are really crisp and clean and uh, the whole thing just is a really good <laughs> blend of 2016 and and early 2000s. 10 out of 10 menus. I I don't know why everybody uh, equates everything to free space. I, I see I equate everything to freelancer or starlancer. What ha- well, the thing with free space is that to me, you know, in my, you know, hazy 20-year memory, free space was uh, you know a lot like its cousin descent, just easy to just sort of intuitively grasp right away, right? It was just, it was, you could jump in, you know, it's like, it's like when Alex Rogan got into the Starfighter, you know, the Gunstar in the last Starfighter. He's like, oh yeah, okay, so this is my particle bolts and the chair control. Yeah, I got this. And the display, yeah, totally good. I'm good. I'm good. Let's fly. Let's go. Launch. That I get that vibe from, from games like that. 12 being the number of individual buttons. I can do 12. 12 is good. Yeah. That's not a bad amount. Um, just grab yourself a Steam controller, set up a touchpad, and you are good to go on that. But now it's time for news we didn't use. CIG revealed that the Bering C-788 Combine Ballistic Cannon 
will be the extra reward for those who pre-ordered the Buccaneer ship. There are scattered reports of NPCs still possessing WMDs and Elite despite an attempted fix. Descent Underground is working on elements for single player, including a training mission, crates that contain power-ups, and further lore for framing the story. Bulkheads as a machinima is set in the Star Citizen universe, is available, and was featured in the most valuable post in Around the Verse. Elite introduced ship customization kits with parts like fins and spoilers for Sidewinders, Cobra Mark III's, and Eagles. So wait, my Dorito can have fins on it now? Yes, yes, it looks like a a Dorito Meta Shark. Oh, okay. Because that's what I needed. Yeah, who doesn't want that? Yeah. Did you did you see that machinima? Machinima. Yeah, machinima. Whatever. There it is. That's it. No, I did not see the machinima. Is you it didn't? good? Is it soap opera-y? No. Huh? Oh, I, you need to if you've yeah. not seen it. I have not had a free moment to myself in the past ninety six hours. That's very true. I, but I, yeah, I'm still sorry. Need to see it, it. Was that Tony whining there? I hear with it. <laughs> but Jeff, I don't have time to have fun. <laughs> Yes, it was me whining. Uh, it is it is good fun, though. And as I, I know, obviously, you're a Foundry veteran yes. um, in Stowe. Uh, I think you would appreciate this from even just the technical point of view, if not from the story perspective. But both are great. Well, on that strong recommendation, I'll check it out then. NPCs or AI enemies and MMOs have been a necessity from the beginning of the genre. Almost since their inception, they have been considered... The easy mode by many gamers with Care Bearers being one of the kinder terms for players who prefer to pit themselves against computer opponents over other humans. The recent issues with Elite Dangerous have shown that AIs who are blatantly exhibiting behavior no human can reproduce is not desirable either. Even Descent Underground has been dialing back the AI for being too murdery. However, the rise of the roguelike genre single-player games populated by universally difficult AI enemies such as the upcoming Everspace, invites the question, should MMOs have generally difficult NPCs as the norm? Assuming games can program AIs that don't win only because they're literally cheating or take so long to kill, they win by attrition. Would their introduction improve the MMO universes, or do NPCs need to be less dangerous, more predictable staples of MMO conflict with player versus player combat remaining the apex of the challenge? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the virtues of a strong AI NPCs. Research into their Star Trek online play histories revealed that Tony never fired weapons at anything that had a real person at the controls, whereas Lennon didn't bother to pay attention unless the enemy ship's captain personally insulted his mother before opening fire. So, Tony, tell us why the NPCs need to remain the easier targets. Jeff, the NPCs in an MMO are the mobs. They need to be killed off in waves and waves and waves to do a number of things, to earn treasure, to get the loot drops, to gain those experience points that in maybe not Star Citizen, but in other games allow you to rank up, whether monetarily or through skill points or through reputation advances. Those things draw people back into the game repeatedly, and unless they're easily achievable victories, you're going to lose your customers. Lennon? 
Tony, you ignorant slut. Whilst they may be designed to have treasure and items and EXP be dropped, you can still achieve all of that just by tweaking the rates. And I think that ultimately, if you want to slaughter wave after wave after wave of enemies, go and play a game like Gauntlet or one of those other arena-based combat shooters. No, this is a space sim. The universe is a dangerous place, and that needs to be reflected in the level of the NPC AI. You can't just step out of your front door, go out into the big wide world, and presume you won't get shot. And Tony. Lennon, I understand where you're coming from, but what you've got to understand is that people need victory. Constant victory to validate their experience in the game. I'm doing well. I am good at this. I'm enjoying myself. My score is being racked up. My points are going up. My treasure is increasing. People need some of that validation. This is a game, don't forget. And those games are going to need cheeks in seats in order to survive. Tony, you beautiful, beautiful person. I can totally see that you need victory in a game in order to give the player the sense of achievement, but doing it too often and too frequently just leads to a sense of entitlement, and it's that whole instant gratification feel to it. You know, rewards are meaningless. If they are just plied on you time and time and time again, they lose their value. In order to have a true victory, you need to have a struggle. You need to have earned that and made sure that the sweet, sweet taste of victory was very, very hard Started well that sentence. Damn it, my words suck there at the end. (laughs) (sighs) You were going too, man. I was I wanted you to bring that home. I was like, stick that landing, Lennon. Stick that landing. But then I fumbled at the I tripped over my toe, my ankle. East German judge is gonna just ream you for that one. Oh, here come the cards now. 3.2. Oh, Lennon. So close. Uh I'm glad you didn't have me debate this because I, I, I'm kind of cross between the two. Uh-huh. I believe that, um, first of all, there's a distinction between NPCs and mobs. Mobs are the, are the trash that you go out and kill. NPCs okay. are those non-player characters that you interact with. And in Star Citizen's case, it will be the ones that you hire for your ship and, you know, their, your ground crew and so on and so forth. Mobs, on the other hand, are those the universal garbage that you go out and trash. Now, WoW did it kind of, kind of well. Um, they had the general mobs, they had the advanced mobs, uh, and they're donated by their little silver dragon over them. And then they had elite mobs, and I think that that is appropriate for every game because it gives you, you know, the regular trash the semi-boss or the area boss or the mini-boss and then you have the big you know elite people for your your big challenging effort and where you may want to even group up to to tackle it so i i think that every game deserves that kind of of trash even even elite i think they broke i haven't played since the since everybody reported on the on the issues um just because there's too much risk i like i like a certain amount of risk but there's just too much risk involved. So it's it, you were mentioning, you know, like uh, the dragon symbols or whatever that identified the uh, the difficulty of the mob. So different levels of NPCs are fine as long as you know what you're getting into pretty clearly. Like Elite says, this is a dangerous pilot. This is a mostly harmless pilot. He's in an adder. This guy's in a fertile ant. You know, you can kind of pick your fights based on a scan. 
and then decide if Apparently that is not, your level. Apparently not, according to the latest reports no, I've heard. not right now, <laughs> no. Because I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is, uh, I just saw this right before the show, but there was an article in uh, Kotaku about the nature of the bug and what was happening, the reason you were getting uh, killed with plasma repeaters that fired at pulse laser velocities was because the AI found a way to combine and optimize engineering mods. Yeah. So like they were, it was able to like take the, the optimal mod for the plasma uh, launcher, combine it with the optimum mod for the pulse laser, put it together in uh, ways that the programmers did not intend, mount it on the ship, and go hunting. So are you telling me that the AI and elite was going docking yes. at uh, stations, doing engineering missions, and combining that stuff and putting that all together? Apparently, yes. I don't, I don't think it was doing it in real time or anything, but the, the, the AI system, the you know the background engine, found a way, found a <laughs> pathway for that to be accomplished. That's and, and scary. It would, uh, Do you know what, you yeah, know what that so, code, uh, you know, they'd be, they'd be, I don't care if they fix it, but they'd be keeping that code. <laughs> yeah. Combine that, combine that weapon bug. They're calling it a bug, but I think... I think Skynet was born uh, when they turned that on. <laughs> According to the Kotaku article, that's what they said. But in addition to that weapon mod, they also upgraded the the maneuvering AI. So a lot of the old tricks that you used to be able to do to these, uh, the, the AI won't work anymore. But, you know, the spinning circle of death being my exhibit A on that one. But so the idea is that now when it says dangerous Ferdelance, it's a bit of an undersell because it's got the improved AI and it's a higher level uh, AI to begin with. Plus, it could have weapons that you, as a player character, will not ever be able to get as a practical matter. So, you know, that clearly, that that's not working as intended. And uh, Frontier's gone in and tried to remove those weapons, but apparently, they haven't they haven't got them all yet, which heavily <laughs> heavily favors the Skynet uh, yeah. uh, explanation. Yeah, they're resisting. It's resisting. That's what I was thinking. You know, there was an armistice called and they didn't hand over the weapons. There is now an underground section of the AI that has these pulse laser repeaters. Uh-huh. Uh, and they are way and, beyond the red line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way beyond. Way beyond. But I think uh, I, I think that having uh, levels of challenges of NPC is, is a good compromise. I just don't like not knowing what you're getting into. I, th- I think if it's advertised up front and scaled appropriately, I think that's the best solution. I think that clearly identifying what's going on before you're engaged. I think that's good gameplay. And it is. I mean, and, and some of it has to do with the, with the uh, in, in-game systems, too. I mean, for example, in Elite, when we scan or when we target and we get their information back, we should be getting detailed information. We should be getting detailed information on the type of shield they have, the type of weapons they're mounting, things like that for us to make a decision on whether to engage them or not. And I think a lot of that lacks. There was a game early on that I used to play a lot that used to give you that kind of detail. Like a loadout. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that gave you a chance to say, oh, I can, you know, if I manage this or I manage that, I, I can take them. You know, or if I attack him this way, you know, do a strafing attack. Or if I just throw myself in reverse and just pound on him from afar or whatever. You know, it's it's all it all comes down to what you can handle. Well, now you know our thoughts on it, we want to hear yours. So in this week's community question, do we need more advanced, generally difficult AIs controlling NPCs or mobs in our MMO versus? Or should the mobs always be low bar for combat? 
Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up in the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say the majesty of his beard was foretold by Nostradamus. And that in the winter, he hibernates for seven months. But all we know is he's cold to shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Can everyone implement first offense, maximum punishment, anti-cheating systems, and they're just too nervous? Or are there other factors that prevent smaller games and companies from taking the same measures? An angel sword kicks us off by saying, Many systems offer data integrity checking and most users have no problem with this. For example, Steam's data integrity check, which identifies damaged or missing files and re-downloads these set files. An easy method to identify simple hacks would be for the game to run the same check on its files in memory as it runs. If it can be limited to the game's files and dependent processes, it still protects your privacy. If it finds a failed validation, it can report it to a system that compares it against similar and known cheat signatures, and then if deemed as a hack, the server logs it with the IP, MAC address, and the account. Allowing it to access the dependent processes means it can also detect many man-in-the-middle techniques. There should always be a way for an actual review by a person on any appeal. Computers make mistakes, and so do people, but a second look catches a lot of errors. Sean Newboy says, Wonderful show, everyone. I personally think some games just don't have that many actual cheaters due to a lack of useful loot for incentive. As for others, the banhammer can backfire if too many innocents get hit and then have to fight to get their stuff back. Montiero says, Tony, you ignorant? And goes on. We'll leave your imagination open there. Cheating <laughs> and cheating is an arms race, and some developers don't have the resources or the will to continually fight this battle. Many have good cause to be nervous about implementing the game equivalent of death penalty. What happens if you get it wrong? How much would you like to be in favor of a one-and-done approach if you were wrongly given a lifetime ban on your favorite game? Software have bugs. Detection programs can generate false positives. Is kill them all and let God sort them out really the answer? That's how I'd make the argument anyhow. I do think bad behavior, cheating in games is a huge problem, and in the grand scheme of things, it's probably worth sacrificing a few poor folks that wrongly get caught up in the net in order to stem the practice. We got some good feedback on this one. I think yeah. that, uh, I think Angel Sword kind of said it best. I mean, if you're going to have something running and it just goes with the game that you downloaded and chose to download and, and, and the processes that it's accessing, yeah, that, I mean, I don't think anybody can object to that. I think it's the when you start going the whole man in the middle stuff, if you start going into those dependent processes, like, you know, the mouse driver, if something is helping the mouse driver lock on to certain screen features or whatever, I think that might be where people start to go, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. And that might be we're crossing a line a little bit. But, I mean, different techniques, different ways to cheat. It is a war, like Amontillado said, you know, uh, warhead versus armor. It's never going to quit. Well, in some cases, I don't care. However, I mean, if it's a if it's a cheat that's not really impacting me, then I really don't care. I mean, if that's what they want to do, so be it. But on the other hand, like in a first-person shooter game where, you know, you have these Call of Duty or Battlefield or whatever, where they have these battles, when you're using aimbot to shoot behind the wall of somebody and getting kills that way, that really bothers me. I guess cheating is cheating and it shouldn't be done, but again, it's all how it affects me. In general feedback, Blue Heaven writes in and says, Lol, I just started playing Elite Dangerous again. I've died more in the last two days than I did in the previous forever. 
And Ken from Chicago says, I agree with Kinetic Impulsor. See, Tony, someone agrees with you at least. Hey. I think the combo of Elite Dangerous and Star Citizen has led to a revival of space sim slash combat games. And then he also points out that last week when I was asking where the f*** is the first person shooter module again, uh, he points me towards the latest in Around the Verse where they've got a little sneak peek at the end of how they're developing the EVA combat. I'll stick the links for that in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Oh, there it is. And Mandreas3 writes and says, I love guard frequency. That is all. Well, we can't really say any better than Mandreas3 no, has no, said. No, so. that, that we agree completely and Thank totally. You. And a reminder of this week's community question. Do we need more advanced, genuinely difficult AIs controlling NPCs or mobs in our MMO verses? Or should the mobs always be the low bar for combat? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Did we get the difficulty setting just right, or was the whole thing a grind fest? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter, at GuardFreak, and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can shoot us an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 124 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 125 on June 21st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn Space Sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivrybean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Shorten Edwards, our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Kin Shadow, our producer, Jeff Grant, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we'll see how it is. <clears throat> okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Lennon? Yep. The word fondle yeah. is banned from... from <laughs> there's no reason to include that word in our show at all. 
Are you sure? Uh, it's just the, the yeah no. Uh, let's see. Boo. I, we're not. That's not a word. It's not a word we're going to use. Okay. okay. <laughs> beep, beep. Uh, as we listen to Jeff finish his dinner, <laughs> I'm trying to be really quiet. <laughs> you're, it's mostly working, but it sounds like you're almost done with your delicious meal. <clears throat> not really, but oh, okay. So, well, uh, oh, after you say, no, no, sir, sir, no, no, sir. No, sir. Well, Jeff, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you two there are bickering. I, I think that... Um, well, this which, is sort of the... Oh, go, go ahead. No, after you, sir. No, after you, sir. No, sir. I insist. No, sir, sir. So, okay, okay, Jeff, go. Um, I'm not really interested. Thank you for your input. Lennon, go ahead. <laughs> is that a word, murdery? <laughs> it is now. All righty, then. Based on equipment, you... Based, what is wrong with me? Right, I'm going to try this whole thing again. Let's just get right back in there. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Damn it, shut up, machine. Pardon me while I silence this thing. Uh, make good radio. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay, that ought to fix that. Uh, here we go. Let's try that again. Beep, beep. Lennon, are you with us? Lennon! Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> Let's try that again. I haven't done that for years. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, here we go. Um, <clears throat> Spazibo.